0: Hello everyone, thanks very much for coming along today. Nice to see such a full room. Um, this is a Guru Live Glasgow event. Uh, Guru Live, of course, is an extension of BAFTA's brilliant online resource which you must all look up if you haven't already, guru.bafta.org, um, which shares advice and inspiration from the best creative minds working in film, games and TV. N- none of this lot, eh? no. Uh, if you're using social media today, um, please use the hashtag GuruLive. Joining BAFTA as a career starter or student member is a great way to get more involved throughout the year. And you can get more info on that from the registration desk or the BAFTA website. And the session's going to last about 1 hour and 15 minutes. I'm going to show you some clips later on in the session um, which will demonstrate some of the later work that our panel have done. Um, And then we'll have 15 minutes at the end for questions, so please start thinking about questions now because there's nothing more awkward than having silence when you ask for questions. So please start thinking of some fantastic questions to ask now at the end of the hour. Um, So our panel today, I'll just introduce them. Ben Kellett, here with the lovely pink trousers. Ben uh, is a dab hand at comedy and multi-camera studio shows. Most recently he worked on Ant & Saturday Night Takeaway for ITV, um, he did the two Mrs Brown's Boys Christmas Specials for the BBC and I Live With Models for Comedy Central. He has a cupboard full of BAFTA UK and BAFTA Scotland awards for Mrs Brown's Boys and his first one hour for TV was Noel's Christmas Presents for the BBC. Um, Our panel are all going to help you um, understand what it is you have to do to get to the stage where you're making your first hour for television, which isn't easy. We have next to Ben Louise Lockwood here. She's a producer-director of multi-award-winning documentaries, largely for the BBC, including Oliver Sacks, Tales of Music and The Brain for the BBC Imagine series, Edgar Allan Poe, Love, Death and Women, and Parallel Worlds, Parallel Lives for BBC4, BBC2 and PBS, which follows the lead singer of US rock band Eels on his journey of discovery across America to learn about the father he never knew, quantum physicist author Hugh Everett III. That was Lou's first hour in television, and that won Lou numerous awards, including uh, a Grierson Award for Best Science Doc, an RTS Award for Best Science Natural History Programme, a BAFTA Scotland Award for Best Factual, a Jury Award at the Celtic Media Festival, and an Athena Award for Science Communication at the Athens International Science Festival. Douglas McKinnon, on the end here, is currently working as director and executive producer of the Neil Gaiman scripted drama series Good Omens for the BBC and Amazon. And he's previously worked as a director on dramas such as Dirt Gently, Doctor Who, Outlander and the Sherlock Christmas Special, for which he won Best Director from BAFTA Scotland and the show won an Emmy for Best TV Movie. His first hour was a BBC cop drama series called Back Up in 1995, which apparently didn't do that well, so you should ask Douglas why in the questions. (laughs) I'd never heard of it. (laughs) But, (laughs) But he's come far since then. And then beside me is Karen Kelly. Karen's an award-winning director and series producer across a broad range of genres, including observational docs, specialist factual, factual entertainment and drama. Her BBC4 film The Guinea Pig Club won a Royal Television Society Award for Best Factual Doc and her panorama An Innocent Serial Killer won a Ruby Award for Best Investigation. She's currently directing on long-running TV drama Casualty and has previously worked on soaps such as River City, EastEnders, Doctors and Hollyoaks. Her first hour was a horizon called The Death Star about gamma ray bursts.
1: So interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, all very successful now, but I wanted to ask you all individually how you all first started. Did you study film and telly at university? Did you leave school when you were 15 and get work experience, or were you born into the right family? Lou. Thanks. <laughs>
2: um, so I studied fine art, actually, here in Glasgow, which is what brought me up here. I went to the art school, and I did fine art photography. Um, and during that process, I thought, oh, no, I want to make films. I don't know why I'm at art school. I should have gone to film school. Anyway, I left and spent about a year, I think, knocking on every, every production company and film bank, um, trying to get a job, just as even as a runner um, in the kind of sort of drama world. I didn't know anybody. And I realized how difficult it is when you don't know anybody. Um, so I, I didn't get anything, literally nothing. Um, and I tried to get on the only course that existed twice, couldn't get on that. Um, so I thought, well, I'm gonna have to sort of take a different approach here. So I got a place on a radio training course. <laughs> Which is quite still, you know, storytelling. Um, But on that, we got a work, I think it was a week's placement as a runner on like a children's education thing for the BBC. So I learnt my first lesson run very hard when you're a runner, um, which I did. um, And I got on very well with the production manager. And on her next job, she got me a job again as a runner, which was for something for Ideal World Productions, which is now. Massive IWC, but it was sort of it's a long time ago. Um, What did your
0: duties involve as a runner? Running. What do runners? What should runners expect
2: to do? There's the usual: make tea, go to the shops and buy the things that people have forgotten to get. Maybe go and pick somebody up. So driving is very useful. Sweep up. uh, Be the last to lock up and stuff like that. Probably the first to arrive. Um, I don't know. Snacks for people go and grab some batteries for the cameraman because the assistant's doing something else. What um, kind of person, sorry. Uh, yeah, you're just kind of there for everyone, really, to kind of utilize as a set of hands and legs. But what I did realize was you don't just wait to be asked to do something, like, as a good runner. And this goes all the way through. You don't wait to be asked to do something. You're kind of like, oh, look, it looks like a mess. So I'll just go and sweep that up. I mean, you can't be proud. You've just got to do whatever. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of it, and it was, on, it was on an advert, actually, I think, for Ideal World. Anyway, so, and I chatted to everybody on it, um, as you do as well, have a chat, and uh, I got on very well, just even in a few days, with Hamish Barber, who runs Ideal World Productions, and he was um, also the director on the advert. Anyway, he was like, why don't you come in next week, we're starting this new thing, and maybe you can sort of do something on that. So, I did. So I got a job as a runner on. It was a show called Vids. It was for Channel Four, late night. It's like a video review show. Very experimental, very low budget, and quite rude. But anyway, um, so I ran on that, and then because it was so low budget, they realised they couldn't afford like to have like like a camera op on it. So I'd studied photography. He's like, "Would you fancy shooting it?" So he gave me like a day with an ex-BBC cameraman. So we kind of had a crash course in how to shoot on a big SX. And then I started shooting it, and it was, gosh, I must have shot about 20 of them, half hours. So that was over a year. Um, And then I started making the props, as you do as well, kind of strange things, just kind of all hands on deck making it. And then within two years, he let me direct on the computer games one, which was called Bits. So same sort of idea. So it was fast from runner to, Mm. to director, but it was on, it's probably online is the equivalent of that sort of production now quick turnaround like three weeks for a half hour
1: mm-hmm.
2: so I think I directed about 30 of those and then I did some vids as well. So um, you
0: so. graduated from art school, yeah. you just banged at lots of doors yeah. till you got a job as a runner and then when you got into Ideal World which is a really Big influential mm-hmm. production company IWC now make location mm-hmm. location location. Mm-hmm. You just made yourself invaluable. Yes. And worked hard and smiled a lot and never yep. said no. That's too difficult. And Pretty much. worked your way up to making mm-hmm. on uh, well, low budget, no budget late night for, kind late of Channel Four stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That
2: was my kind of start. Great,
0: Douglas. What about you? Did you study media?
3: <coughs> no. Well, I did eventually. I I, I went. I went um, from Portray in Sky, and I did photography at, as a Friday afternoon activity, um, I mean all black and white developing stuff and everything. And then I went off, off to fail a business studies course at Napier, which was just so looking back. I've got no idea why I did it. I thought it was just to get away. And then I went back home to Sky, and my, my sister happened to be working in the job center in Inverness, and uh, a youth opportunity scheme came up for, to be a. Uh, an assistant to a photographer in Inverness, uh, and I went off and did that because I had nothing else to do really. And he gave me a camera, and um, I sort of found I could use it. And he, d- he just dropped me in the dip end with everything. And the amazing thing about being in the Highlands uh, and doing stuff is, is that it's, it's an exaggerated version of Scotland that, that you have to multitask to survive. So I was doing photographs that were hard news all the way through to you know dinner dances and everything else. Uh, and, and my boss, however, uh, was trying to get into the National Film School, which I'd never heard of before and it's kind of a weird thing that you go to Inverness and find somebody who's doing that and he got into it and I went off, I came here to the College of Building and Printing, as it used to be called, in Hanover Street and did a, did a stills photography course there for three years and I um, uh, failed it uh, about at the same year was the Young Press Photographer of the Year, because the reason I failed it was I was off making money taking photographs. Hmm. So, and then I, 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 But by but, but, but then I realised that to become Henry Cartier-Bresson uh, it would require 40 years of hard labour, and, and uh, there was clearly no guarantee that I would become Henry Car- Cartier-Bresson. <laughs> uh, uh, so I decided that um, filmmaking was a much slower course to take, and it would take 40 years to discover that I was really shit, you know. But it would be a much more interesting journey along the way so i applied it and, and I, I took four years to get into the national film school uh, applying with a different film each year and eventually got in although i wanted to do documentary uh, i wanted to do fiction i got in under the documentary banner
0: this is the national film school in london in beaconsfield yeah. right, it's now, yeah. the,
3: now the nfts sorry yeah, yeah. Uh, and i got into that and managed to i graduated with a film that was about a boy taking his father's remains home to Skye, and it's a very Bergman-esque, in the very loosest term, mm-hmm. as in really slow, <laughs> yeah. uh, film, and managed managed to graduate on the same night that Nick Park was graduating with uh, Wallace and Gromit, which uh, it was a contrast. Balance. It was yeah. a contrast, but in, but in the same year before that, again because I came from the Highlands, and I, and I I've always used the Highlands as being my card into things because I think, um, and again it applies to Scotland that. Uh, the uniqueness of our place is the thing that I think we should constantly use to get into into doors. And coming from Sky, I continue to employ as a thing to get into doors in Los Angeles now because they love the story of somebody coming from the Highlands who gets to Los Angeles. So, so I use that. But at that time, I
0: do you go for meetings in your kilt?
3: Yeah, no, 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 no. But but I go for meetings and, st- and start off basically telling the story of Geordie and that I'm Geordie you know, and that I've managed to get to the top somehow, <laughs> you know. Um, but no, but but the, but the reason I, I, I the, the thing I left the film school with that was useful was not my graduation film. is that um, because I'm from the Highlands? Uh, a producer was looking for somebody to do the promo for a "Letter from America" for, by the Proclaimers, um, and uh, because I was cheap and from the Highlands as well, <laughs> uh, I went off and did that, and uh, it it by it, you know uh, it became a number one hit. So. Um, uh, I used that to get in the door, and we, we were talking before about how, how you get in through the door of somewhere, and I, I was trying to get, uh, I, although I'd planned, I was, I was in my late twenties by this point, so I'd planned to be in Hollywood by this point, uh, I, I, was, I was back in Glasgow with a, a Proclaimers video, and um, I remember going to BBC Scotland and trying to get the uh, Gallup producer, I knew Ken McQuarrie, he's now head of everything at the BBC, but, but he, he, I tried to get him to watch this video, and uh, he, he came down to reception. And he was sort of seeing me, because he's, he's from Mull and I'm from Sky, and he, he sort of said, so what, how long is it, you know, and he, I said, it's only three minutes, you know, and, and he said, well, we better watch it then, you know, and so we went back upstairs, and he shoved it in his machine, and we watched it. And uh, it, was, it was quite pleasing, because he then said to everybody else in the office, come in to have a look at this, and we watched it again, and, and I got hired to do um, a, a couple of little things for Gaelic television. Uh, I, I'm not a Gaelic speaker, but, uh, mm-hmm. and then also music and arts, and kind of that was the route and but once
0: you were in, you were in.
3: Once I was in, I was in, but it was right. also, uh, also I've been saying to some folks that I met this morning that it's, I think it's always really great to have more than one track at the same time. So, so there's nothing wrong with earning a crust and there's nothing wrong with, with running, which I've done you know, in my past as well, and, and doing whatever you need to do to keep, keep the wolf from the door. Because you also learn when you're out directing, whatever you're directing, it doesn't matter. Um, but it, but it, does, it doesn't mean to say that you can't keep your, your ambitions for anything. Uh, in your eyes, just keep, keep on because mm-hmm. and, and, and I've stolen this from Will Hall but uh, uh, don't ask, don't get is my motto you know? so always ask and you might just get occasionally
0: Nice, I'll bear that in mind <laughs> Karen where did you come from and how did you break down the door to get into the well, world of I knew that TV. I wanted
1: to be a director from when I was about 10 and used to run little shows from my friend Margaret's dad's garage and so I was absolutely set that that's what I wanted to do but when I came to leaving school my parents there was absolutely no possibility of me getting into television they didn't know anybody I didn't know anybody I didn't even know how to do it it didn't appear that there were any opportunities for anybody to do it and they wanted me to get a proper job so I went into architecture and I studied it for seven years and I came out and I qualified and I got a job a miserable job for six months which I cried almost every night about and came home and told my parents that I'd I'd, I'd given it up and I lay in my bed for about six months (laughs) staring at the ceiling thinking if I'm not going to be an architect then what am I going to be? Am I ever actually going to make it to being a director? And I remember being at the Glasgow School I went to the Macintosh and I (coughs) went to the Glasgow School of Art and in the days where you had pay phones and I was phoning home to do something and I was sitting on a flyer that said that the Glasgow Film and Video Workshop, which was I think what it doesn't exist anymore but yeah. it, it um, G It's now GMAC, GMAC now. Yeah. Right, okay the Glasgow yeah. Film Video Workshop. And that they were running a course, um, a six week course with a German experimental film director for first-time filmmakers and I literally it was the last day you could apply I I ran down with the application and absolutely pleaded with them I I had nothing to show I had never made any films I had nothing but eventually they were literally shutting the door and I was saying I'm coming on Monday I'm coming on Monday so they they let me do it I, I then studied for six weeks we weren't even allowed to I mean, we, we cleaned a BL, an ARRI BL, for the first four weeks. Um, and eventually I, we got to make, and we watched a lot of German experimental films, which were very weird. And then I made my first three-minute experimental film, which was unwatchable, <laughs> absolutely unwatchable. Um, and um, so then I had to kind of figure out where I was going to go on from there. Um, and I got somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who got me a job as a runner on a weekend shoot. So did you meet people making that experimental film? Did no, you make the connections? No, 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 no. Because they were all like me. They've oh. never made anything before, and. and Although, actually, interestingly, they have all gone on Mm -hmm. to do things. But it wasn't them that you connected with But it wasn't them that I connected with I I just kind of asked everybody who asked everybody who kind of eventually... Somebody said they knew somebody Mm -hmm. who was doing some sort of shoot at a weekend, and I Mm -hmm. went along as a runner, and then as soon as I was on set, I knew I want the director's job. Mm -hmm. So I then made a series of experimental films, which, again, were all unwatchable, um, but I did get into the Royal College of Art and their film school, and that gave me two years of, of, of being around people who knew how to make films that weren't experimental mm. German films. Um, and once I graduated, I graduated with a, a good short, but it didn't seem to kind of do anything. It didn't get me any work. I wrote to hundreds of people for months and months and months, even like a year, and then eventually, and I applied for the BBC training scheme, and I applied three years in a row, and by the third year. I got on to it and what do you think was different in that third year why did you get on in that third year i was just bored of reading my application <laughs> but did also I got better at filling in the application yeah. I I, I but how I, do
0: you make yourself stand out because so many people apply for these training schemes and how do you how do you make yourself stand out so you get noticed and taken on
1: I think by the third year, it was there was a sort of sense of desperation in my application that said that I would, like, I would sell a kidney to kind of to just get that chance. And, you know, so there was no half measure. I absolutely, you know... And, and in that time, I'd made all sorts of films and little bits and bobs. I, I don't know. I think the important thing is once you... If you can just get that application and get the first interview, then once, once they meet you... You have a chance to impress upon them that, that you want this more than anybody else that they've seen on that day and I think mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with wanting that chance yeah. You've, and you know and then once you're in the BBC very very fortunately, you, can, you can, at that point you're paid by network so you could work across all the different departments and so once you're in you're in yeah and then you just have to work incredibly hard yeah. for everybody and forget that you have a life beyond. What that was the television.
0: time period between leaving your architectural job and getting the, and nailing the BBC. start at the BBC?
1: Three years. Three years. Four, Four years. Four years. So you've
0: got to stick at it, not give up.
1: Absolutely must not ever
3: give up. Yeah.
0: Ben, did you do anything strange and different to get no, yourself I noticed? No, I think I'm, uh, He's
3: doing
4: it the deck. <laughs> <laughs> or decade, <laughs> is it? Yeah, deck as his name. I didn't know. I, I sort of did a slightly more sort of dull beginning, really. Um, I read drama at university because uh, I wanted to act, and then at university I realised that it really wasn't going to be my thing. Um, I did a lot of acting at university, and I realised I wasn't quite as good as I thought I was. Uh, but it, what that taught me was focus and hard work. We used to sort of lock ourselves in the student theatre for weeks on end and do every aspect of a production of a play. Um, and they also had a TV studio attached to it, and we got to do all the jobs. We got to be a cameraman and a vision mixer and a boom operator and do the um, continuity, uh, which gave me a sort of slight interest in thinking TV might be something I'd like to have a go at. And then when I left university, I got a job for Birmingham City Council running a thing called the Show of the Century, modestly entitled mm-hmm. Celebration of Birmingham Becoming a City, a big... Sort of festival over the course of summer in Cannon Hill Park, so I ran that for them. Then did a tour of the Scottish play, uh, which I stage managed and did the lights and the Macbeth. sound for. The very same. The very same. Um, I did that, loved it, and then up came a job as a temporary relief holiday floor assistant for the yeah. BBC. And I had actually, I got a job before that. Actually, got a job. Working, a, a chap came to talk at university from the BBC about careers in the BBC and he said this is my number Any if you want to join the BBC come and talk to me and of course no one did except I did and he's a slightly odd man, I won't name him, but he was slightly peculiar and looking back now I think I perhaps wasn't wise to go and have lunch with him but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had lunch um, and that was it, very nice curry it was. Um, and he said again, you know, there's, he said there's a TV tri- there was a TV training department, I don't know if it's still there at the Beep, right, at L Street, and they need AFMs all the time. You've done theatre, so you know about that. And I did a week being an AFM.
0: An after AFM assistant please.
4: floor manager. So I, well, I, they didn't have a floor manager, but I was looking after props and basically setting up the sets for the TV training courses to do. So that the one I did was a PA advanced course where script soups would learn continuity. There'd be lots of rustling of paper as they turned over the sheets of script and tried to keep up with a man shaving which hand, you know, which handed did which stroke and how many strokes did you do on each side when you was saying which line for continuity purposes. So I did that for a week. Then the job came up in the Guardian for relief holiday temporary floor assistant. Just in case you thought that was going to be a real job, you were taking over the people who took over from the people who were on holiday. So there was no chance of ever going anywhere. So I applied for that, had a Terrifying board um, at, at TV Centre, which was completely horrific. Four people, including the head of personnel and the head of studio management, who was lovely, um, but, but as a very green, interviewing recent, you for the job, recent graduate, yeah, yeah. interviewing for this Assisting very lowly, lowly, lowly yeah. job. Um, so, what
0: kind of questions did they ask you? What oh, did I they want of, to know about your capabilities for this very low level entry?
4: I think the fact that I'd done the AFM training course helped, because they could just then ask the TV training department whether I was a total arse or not, Mm -hmm. Um, and presumably I wasn't a total arse, Mm -hmm. Uh, and whether I was, so that week I sort of viewed as an audition for future work and worked incredibly hard and worked with um, the guy who was doing the rest of the physical element of the course, and I think I got noticed there a little bit, and then when I came to the board I kept falling back on that, and my, albeit brief experience in theatre, but my enthusiasm for the theatre, which I'd done at university, I think really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got that job, which was a six-month contract. And then, I, two years, I was a runner, floor assistant. Um, at that point, we worked across the genres covered by studio Management, which was that BBC Television Centre, so we did every programme that was in the studio there. So we'd take the packed lunches to Grandstand on a Saturday. Uh, and then, generally speaking, the job was to get anyone, be it an actor on a sitcom or the Blue Beater presenters or Tomorrow's World Lot, from their dressing room through makeup onto the studio floor when they were needed. Um, It was a very good way of absorbing everything that happened in a TV studio. And I was a floor assistant on series one of Null's house party, which had a lot of different elements to it, and ended up staying there for seven years pretty much exclusively. Um, And from floor assistant for a couple of years, I then became AFM on it, um, and then became a location manager. Then, then a production manager, then I went off and did Gen Game with Bruce for a while and mm. then got pulled back to House Party to mm-hmm. become production manager of it. Then became assistant producer and started to direct mm. um, insert films for mm-hmm. them.
0: What do you think's the biggest attribute you need to work your way up the greasy pole so quickly? It wasn't
4: quick. I mean, it didn't feel quick. Uh, it was, I think, I, I joined in 1990 and I was directing in, by 97, so at first, that might be considered quick. I don't know. Um, hard work and enthusiasm, I think. The one thing I, I always say to people who come and do work experience with me is the only thing you can do wrong is be unenthusiastic because it's just so many people want to do it and want to be in the industry and it requires so much, particularly when you're starting, so much energy and so much of your life and your heart that if you, if you don't give that level of 100%, people will notice very quickly and you can, there's a lot of other people around who will give that. So that's...
0: yeah. And, and how important is your reputation once you're in there and word of mouth? and?
4: Yeah, well, I think, particularly when, once I started directing, it was much... I found it easy and comfortable because I knew all the people around me because I'd come up... They'd all know me. Studio management also, bizarrely, allocated you as a, as a floor assistant, but it also allocated floor managers who ran the floor. Vision mixes um, as well. So that's qu- quite a sort of odd little group of people, uh, and AFMs. It's quite an odd group, disparate group of people. So by the time you, and, and because you're on the floor, you see the process of television production, how it works. And I decided, whilst I was, it's when I first started, it was still towards the tail end. The early 90s were the end of the great, long-running, very big BBC sitcoms, like Keeping Up Appearances and Bread. And Ab, Ab Fab was, I was the first series of Ab Fab. Um, so on a Sunday, the telecentre would be full of sitcoms. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved watching sitcoms being made, I thought it was so clever, and I really wanted almost immediately to direct actors in comedy, so I decided that's what I wanted to do. Then ended up for eight years in entertainment, well actually 11 years in entertainment and became producer of Generation Game, because it's cultural inertia, you know, they see you, I mean you've done amazingly diverse stuff within the BBC, which is quite something. Um, But I got very pigeonholed into entertainment. So I became a producer-director in entertainment, producer-generation game, and at that point thought, I really don't, with Jim Davidson, who I, who I like, respect, yeah, I do, <laughs> actually. I mean, it, it, Jim is, what I found it easy to work with Jim, actually, because you knew exactly what it was going to be like, because we all know what Jim Davidson's like, actually. You know, so I knew what I was getting myself into. for. No one else wanted to do the job. Um, sorry, Jim, if you are listening anyway, um, strangely. And I I had been producing for a bit and thought, well, you know what, whatever happens in the future, having spent a year producing The Generation Game, which at that point was one of the biggest programmes the BBC made, Mm -hmm. is always going to be something to look back on, at least. Yeah. So I did that. Um, But by the time I got there, most of the people at the BBC, you kind of worked with them in some way. They knew you knew what you were doing because they'd seen you as a floor assistant. Mm -hmm. So they knew you knew your way around everything. Yeah. So when you come to be the producer and you're bossing them around or you've got to go and ask the difficult questions or try and get something from someone, they're aware that you know how difficult it is for them to do it because they know you've grown up in that environment too. Yeah. So there's a mutual knowledge and understanding that you've been around a bit, you're kind of not mm-hmm. asking for something they can't do. Mm-hmm. Also means that you can actually push probably harder than anyone else can because you secretly know that it's not that difficult but they're just possibly playing you a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. So Newell's Christmas presents... Christmas present was, was my first First one hour. hour. But right.
4: I did that because I'd... One year they did these things called gotchas, which are like practical jokes they play on famous people and they give them a statue at the end. Um, and uh, I... One year the guy that directed those had to go and do NTV during the run and mm-hmm. he couldn't therefore cut what he'd shot. Yeah. And I, was, I had been a production manager, so I, I was there all the time. I knew all the material, so yeah. I was signing an edit for eight months, two edit suites, in fact, yeah. to cut all these little films and you'd together. And you have been
0: working over that for yeah. a long time anyway, so everyone so, trusted you. I cut, That's these, how you I'd cut
4: these stories together with stuff I hadn't shot, and I think that was a great training, and actually, as a director, what you need physically to tell a story and yeah. what you can get away without.
0: Yeah. Lou, your first hour was your multi-award-winning doc.
2: Yeah, the one with the catchy little short description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Could you explain a little bit about how mm-hmm. you were trusted at that moment in your career to make this one hour? I mean, mm-hmm. what, what do you think you had done that had allowed the financiers to I say you? I think yep. it was
2: what I was, had done, and I think it was more about the person who trusted me. Because I'd left Ideal World, those, in fact, there's Freelance Life for You, those series came to an end and I was out within like two days, now what? Um, so there was an AP position at the BBC advertised and god love him again Hamish wrote me a brilliant reference and I got that place which was you know I was really grateful to get that and then I spent seven years-ish in the factory department I got I went straight in doing like half hours which were nice sort of arts things um low budget I was pretty much mostly shooting them all myself which was kind of just I mean there'd always been people that had done it but more taking off and I I sit on the fence with self-shooting because a lot of the time now it is just because you're cheap um, and I think that's wrong but then for some things it is it's much better because you're a much smaller team and it's much more intimate but anyway that's another conversation. Anyway so I did half hours and some 40 minutes but really I think within like a year I realised I want an hour that's where you get the chance to really explore a story so I literally nagged them for like seven years. All the execs, all the producers, um, I was just like, come on, give me an hour, give me an hour. And it was quite a small department at the time, and they had their sort of trusted PDs that that kind of got to make things. Anyway, I still kept asking. I thought eventually something will happen. And then a new executive producer came in to the department, um, a lady called Jill Fullerton-Smith, who had a really awful reputation for being like really outspoken and a bit crazy. Um, but I loved her, she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant and she was kind of like a breath of fresh air in the department and that bit of crazy is kind of what I needed at that point and she'd come in with a commission for um, Parallel Worlds but it, it was a big joint um, production with Discovery at the point when it was commissioned so it was going to be loads of money and nobody like me would have got a kind of hint of it and then Discovery pulled out and because of the like the schedule and everything, they needed somebody very quickly that could self shoot, um, and was you know up for a, a challenge. That you know there was nobody that did physics in the department as well, so it was kind of they had to kind of that was interesting anyway. So because um, it was all about quantum physics, but um, so because I'd nagged so many people, she'd been asking around right who's like hungry in the department for for a challenge, and my name came up. So she met with me. She was terrifying and brilliant, but was like you better not. She actually said to me, you better not fuck it up. <laughs> I was like, right, okay, <laughs> I'll try not to. Um, so, yeah, and then, but it was, it was somebody, you, you see it, and I see it more, even more now. It's like it, for execs to take a, what they consider a gamble on giving somebody their first hour, because to them it's a lot of work. If you mess it up or it all goes messy on the shoot or in the edit, that's a load of work for them to sort it out. Um, and also it can be very expensive to kind of deal with overruns and things so you kind of go oh, well I get that but then you're like but that's your job to like give people that start and kind of try something new so it's I'm going to look out for the slightly crazy ones that that just yeah are kind of prepared. but is it and the ones th- actually that are really really good program makers because they know if it is does go into a bit of a mess they can come into an edit very quickly and go do that do that do that do that and they'll solve it mm-hmm. whereas How
0: much freedom were you given on that first one hour?
2: Quite a bit. I mean, they did—they did assign me an AP who had a physics degree. Thank God, (laughs) because I watched your documentary, which was very helpful, (laughs) Um, and I watched a lot of stuff. But I mean, it's quantum physics. Geez, to try and—although what I realised my my role was to go. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. I don't understand that until they kind of explained it in a way they Mm -hmm. could understand it. But it was, like, creatively. I mean, I decided I wanted to use like. Kind of a stop frame animator using fuzzy felt and stuff they were like totally up for that I sh- like how i shot it was kind of up to me because that was just me and the ap um, and a sound guy sort of two weeks in america um so yeah quite a lot actually i mean they're the very the the, pr- the sort of the main producer on it he'd done a lot of horizon so he was very um like horizons really Locked on a script, I think, isn't it? Where well, it used to be, I don't know if it's still the same. But you would have it really nailed down before you kind of shoot anything. So we did a lot of preparatory work first, and he was kind of all over the sort of physics. But once you've gone and you're shooting, and you, you know you're in America, it's kind of sort of see what happens. But nice. you no, know, there was quite a lot of artistic freedom once we, once we kind of got going.
0: Yeah, great. And Karen, your first one hour was the Horizon, then that yes. blue what took inspiration sh- from. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> Yeah, we've just been reflecting on that actually i did uh three minute items on animal hospital then i did five minutes on tomorrow's world then seven minutes on one foot in the past which was an arts program and then i went to work for robert thirkel on um trouble at the top and did some half hours for him and then i jumped onto my first hour on horizon and i would say looking back now i learned so much from my 3 minutes I- items on animal hospital. I almost learnt more on that than I did on my horizon and that I would say that if you're if you're someone who's making your short films that you spend months and months and months kind of, you know, pouring over, if you have the opportunity to make anything about anything, then you you need to take it because on even if it is a little item on what is the equivalent of animal hospital and they were simple little items, you learn how to cast. You learn how to shape a story. You go into a waiting room where there's like 100 all scratchy dogs all ill. And you've got to find a story in there. So you've got to be able to look at your contributors, assess them very quickly. Who's going to be able to tell a story? Then you've got to shape that story. Then you've got to brief your presenter. And that process in three minutes is essentially the same as you then go on and uses your building blocks for your, your factual films later on in your career in terms of the horizon again in terms of your casting i had I'd, I'd done a lot of casting on these smaller things which made me feel confident about my casting for horizon at that point bettina lerna the exec on horizon um very much went with the robert mckeith react structure so even though it was a factual film you had to script it as if it was a drama with your it was about hypernova's And gamma ray bursts so it was how gamma ray bursts give us an insight into very early star nurseries which only happened at the very beginnings the origins of the universe so it was a very complex astrophysics film and i wasn't really sure where the milky way was (laughs) (laughs) when i first started so um so i had a big a big sort of you know learning curve factually on that but um the point i'm trying to make is that i think there's a huge merit in scripting, 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 on factual films, even if it's obdocs, projecting what you think the story arc is going to be, amending it, taking it, taking it through your drafts. That process of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting your your script, regardless of the subject matter. And I have honestly made everything from Animal Hospital to, the, as I said, this film's about gamma ray bursts, or 15th century Russian history, or Hollyoaks. In the end. Looking and reading and understanding the shape of your script, your narrative arc, who your characters are going to be, how you're going to t- emotionally engage the audience, who are the audience, how am I going to tell my story to that audience? All of those things are things that you can learn on an item for, the, you know, a, an item for a... a, a would you, know, would a, you
0: say that the number one skill then for working in telly across everything, comedy, factual, drama, is
1: storytelling? Mm-hmm. It is storytelling. It's understanding character, of course, and it's and it's casting. So, I think for me. how
0: how can you build up your skills in that before you get your first
1: broadcast job? Well, it, we all have iPhones, or I mean, our phones. You know, with, with cameras on them. If you want to make a little, a, a little five-minute doc, you can. You, you need to think about your script. You can write your. Nothing's in, nothing's stopping you writing a script. Going out and casting for whatever you, the subject matter is that you're examining, working through your narrative arc, you can make these little films now. I, I didn't have that opportunity. We, none of us had that opportunity. We didn't have access to cameras. I mean, I, I, as I said, six weeks cleaning an REBL was as close as I ever got to that film camera at my early stage. But now there is no reason it, that everybody in this room cannot go out and make five-minute items. Don't be overly ambitious. Stick with five minutes. If you can create a tight little story that works in five minutes, whether it's factual or in drama, then then you've learned something. And just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell does say 10,000 hours, you know, in the Outliers book, that to be good at something, you need to have done at minimum 10,000 hours of practice. So, you know, go and sketch before you get your oil painting. Just... Mm-hmm. Make, make, make. Take any opportunity you can from anybody who's making anything to go and work on it. Don't be proud about what the subject matter is or what the genre is.
0: Good advice. Douglas, you are making high-end drama now. How did you prepare to be able to tell good stories when you made your first hour backup? Is that right? Back <coughs> up? Yeah, it was called yeah, backup. Back um,
3: yeah. I mean... I, I, I'd done a lot of telly before I did my first hour of drama, which back up was my first full hour. I did three hours of it, um, but I just wanted to carry on, sort of pick up where the other guys have been talking about because it's, it, 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 I think the story's virtually the same in diff- slightly different ways. because I, I left film school uh, expecting to get to Hollywood within a year or so, and, but came to BBC Scotland and basically got hired by two, place, two departments, BBC Gaelic and uh, Music and Arts. And sort of jumped between the two places a, a little bit and, and did lots of items for things, so the first the, the, the first thing that happened was uh, Edinburgh nights came to Scotland, and that was a kind of hybrid between um, a late show people that was the coolest show in telly and BBC Scotland people who were the, the least cool people in telly uh, and we had to go and merge in Edinburgh and and just make make items and we started up from scratch uh, and and ri- and really um, I think the thing that Karen just said about and you guys are all saying the same thing, going out and doing something is the thing, you know, making, go, going and taking that first item that you do for an art show or for a, a local news show or or for loc- whatever, or for yourself, um, you've got to get storytelling, that's that's a new tip. I'd also say, and I'm sure everybody would agree, the stage after making something is showing something and if you do, do something on your iPhone, you've got to show it to people, you've got to be brave and, and show it to your friends and your family. And take their disdain and their hate and their pain and try and make something that they'll actually watch and they go oh, that's actually not bad you know um i remember when i showed the sherlock i, I made to my my uh, he, he was then 17 year old son the greatest compliment i could get from anybody is from him saying that's not bad because <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 i know that i know i know i'm in the right place do you know what, <laughs> what i mean because you've got to have people that you trust and will just give you a direct a direct sort of really hard criticism uh, at the film school, we always had this thing where we where criticise each other, each other's films really, really heavily, to the point of destruction. And, but that was actually a great learning curve as well, because you really did find out what works and what didn't work. Um, and then when stuff starts going out on telly, if you're lucky enough to do that, then that, then seeing it go out on telly, watching it as it's happening, is really exciting to me. I mean, I I, I love telly. I, I love Ant and Dec and I love Horizon. And I love you know Hollywood. So I love I love watching telly. I'll watch it all day and avoid making it as often as possible because I love watching it so so, so you've got to love it uh, to make it because it's really hard it's actually I think it's a, a, sorry I'm going off the subject of the first hour but I think it's actually a lot easier to do the sort of stuff that I'm doing now for me because I feel like it's uh, I've got it, you know nothing makes me feel more comfortable than walking into a field with 500 people of a crew and, and, and extras and everything else I just love it I just because the support you've got is just like a—it's like a family of support if you've got it right in production. Um,
0: How do you find collaboration? How important is being a good collaborator?
3: It's the essence of it. It's uh, the, the 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 biggest the biggest if you like the biggest tool you've got as a director is the ability to ask somebody somebody's advice on anything. You, you know, if you've got your expert on, on uh, you know, gamma rays or whatever, or or light entertainment or directing whatever. If you're standing, in the, in the, if you've got. A crew. I, I regularly work with about 150 in a crew and um, I know that every department's got an expert and every b- department, I, I don't need to know, uh, I just need to know there's an explosion over there. I don't need to know how to do it. You know, as you're driving the car, not, you don't have to know how to strip the engine down. But somebody ha- having somebody there to do it is much better than doing an item for Edinburgh Nights where you have to make sure the umbrella's there yourself and you know, that people turn up on time and it's much easier. Uh, so it's the opposite, but, but the skills you learn, I'm, I'm a Malcolm Gladwell fan as well, the skills you learn is, is a progressive thing, and, and you can't, it's the joy of it, is that you never stop, you don't, I actually counted my 10,000 hours, and I, and I only managed to get there around, a, about three years ago, you know, and, 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 and that's days of directing drama, you know, um, and I think that's the really exciting thing about it, it's not the bad thing, it's the exciting thing is that when you start, you, it, you're gonna be in the same place in 20 or 30 years, learning again, and all these doors that we open for ourselves with knowledge and, and going out and meeting people and everything else, it's just mm-hmm. fantastic. But the first hour came about because I was plugging away doing uh, music and art stuff and, and uh, Gaelic stuff, and um, including things like Peebrokes, uh, pop videos for that uh, we were talk- for pipe, pipe music and things like that. And I loved it. Uh, but I was still trying to get dramas off the ground as well. And eventually I got my first short film <coughs> moving uh, after film school, and it, it, was, it was a 15-minute Gaelic drama, period drama, set in um, The Potato Famine on Sky in 1847, Children. and, and uh, yeah, but the th- here's the thing, I, I, I then went out and did a version of what you, you guys can all, we make it sound easy now, what you guys can all do with Dropbox or whatever, and, and send it out to, I, I got 100 copies of it made, um, and sent it out to everybody I could find. Uh, and, and again, I was saying to some folk this morning that the technique you've got to use is, uh, uh, that I used was basically I saw programs on telly and, and took a note of the names at the end. And the ones I re- the programs I really liked, that's the ones I sent them to. And funny enough, that's the ones that came back. And, and I got. How much
0: did you have to push the people to come back to you? Did you have to oh, it get disa- in touch it many times? It was or?
3: disastrous. It, uh, we, but I had about three responses to it, yeah. and, and three, three or four, and then I sent them out back again. To another lot and, and it was disastrous but mm-hmm. but the point is one of them that, that came back was the producer on the bell who, who watched this 15-minute galley drama and said you'd be perfect for doing a cop show in london so <laughs> excellent just it worked <laughs> it worked the yeah. key to it which is just what everybody's been saying the yeah. key to it the reason that, that i think it worked was because the, because i, I could t- it showed i could tell a story yeah. that's what he saw yeah. it was his storytelling it wasn't it, it, he was blind to the idea of couldn't give a fuck about Gaelic or anything else. Yeah. You know, or 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 the potato famine, but yeah. he just saw storytelling.
0: Could we show a clip of Douglas's um Sherlock Christmas special so we can see how he's progressed from potato <laughs> <Or not>. famine? <laughs> <laughs> so how is it going into a quite a long running mini series like that where the cast are all established, quite a lot of the crew are the same crew and you're coming in as the sort of new boy. How how do you Manage that?
3: It's scared to shitless, really. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I went into the first production meeting um, and I looked around the table, and all the HODs, apart from my DOP, Cesar the Well, who, who came in with me, all of them had won Emmys for the last time the show was made, and, and you're the new guy. But having said that, I, I did know them from doing a lot of them from Doctor Who, because I'd worked with them before, and I worked with Stephen Moffat on a show called Jekyll. That was my first time with Stephen, and Heartswood as well. So I sort of, it, it wasn't completely alien, but the first morning, um, first rehearsal, I stood with Benedict and Martin and Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss to virtually the producer uh, and they, we started rehearsing and I, honestly I didn't feel like I was even in the room because they were just talking like they were all friends and it was so alienating and difficult and I just thought I'm going to have to just hunker down here. I'd, l- I'd, l- I'd learnt enough about diplomacy by that point not to shout and scream and, and <laughs> go, you'll hate me, I'm, I'm leaving, because I knew they wouldn't, they just say, what was that noise? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and is there a, a house style, or are you allowed to innovate, bring a bit of your, yourself?
3: Um, well, the, the, the thing I think about, about going into any big drama series that is established is, is that what you want to happen. My ideal thing is to come out the other end and for everybody to say, that was the episode that that, that defined the show. That that was the best episode of Sherlock. That was the best episode of The Bell. That's always been my thing. You know, I want to get under the skin of the show and make the make the great Doctor Who, make the great Sherlock, make the great whatever you're doing. Um, it's different if you're starting something off, but 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 then again, you want to make the best episode, the op- the opening episode. You want it to be amazing. So so that's my basic start. But but honestly, um, stepping into Sherlock, you're st- stepping into such a huge machine. It's just like a it's it's so mammoth that you don't. You, you, you experience it and you, and you cling on a bit and go for it you know and and, uh, and also the thing you've got to remember if you get hired to do anything you know to do an item of telly is that people are hiring hiring you because they want you so they, they want you to come in and do your thing as well so you kind of got to be get bold and muscle in and after a few days it was fine and you know and, and benedict's lovely you know and he's really helpful and he, he, he doesn't know what he's doing and i think you know it's slightly on a tangent but you do have to remember that all the time that these working at that level, these people all are brilliant at what they do. It's like Jim Davidson, is brilliant at LA, he's bril- he, they're, they're brilliant. So you've kind of got to lean into that mm-hmm. and, and not think you have to do it all yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's my, that, that would be my thing and, you know, I got, I got Backup, which was a cop show uh, that failed because it, it, they were the backup, it, it was a coppers in a van in Birmingham and basically they arrived after the crime had hap- happened and left before it was solved. So, I don't know why we thought it would work, but <laughs> You didn't <laughs> but write the story. I didn't write it, no. it's very popular yeah. in Israel, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but, 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 nevertheless, uh, it, it was such an amazing thing for me just to be directing drama on that scale. It, that, you, you're in shock to start with, and I, and I do think the 10,000-hour things that Karen mentioned, is, is, is I think at the start, you've got to give in to the fact that it's kind of happening to you a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's okay that that happens, and eventually you'll find your fate, and you move through your apprenticeship, and you eventually you find out that you can be proactive as well and seek out things.
0: Douglas, you've got an agent, haven't you? At mm. what point in your career did you get an agent? So I've, got two, you, I've got
3: two agents now. Right, got what got point one. in your
0: career <laughs> did you get your UK agent?
3: I w- I w- uh, so I was, I was very lucky. My, my graduation film, I got an agent. Really? Uh, from there, because... Okay. No, but the film Bang used to be uh, uh, a sort of thick... It's now just a website, but it used to be a really thick directory. And uh, Bill Forsyth uh, was the only one of any of us that wouldn't give out his own address or phone number for kind of obvious reasons and, but his agent's name was there so I sent a, a VHS to them and they took me on I think partly because they felt sorry for somebody Scottish. And do you
0: think having an agent has helped you to progress in no. your career? No, no they don't no. help at all. So it's about the work? The, they, about what, the what, an, what
3: an agent does for, for drama certainly is they, they can guide you a bit but, but it's about the work and they can get you into the room but you have to do the work in the room they're, they're, but, but in the last ten years my agents haven't got me any work it, it, it's been it's been connections in the network mm-hmm. of people that i've you know built my own my own little venn diagram mm-hmm. that we've all got of people that, um you know as a freelance drama director you're much more isolated than that family thing i'm sort of envious of that in the bbc because mm-hmm. i've seen other friends that have been in that sort of world but in drama it's much more isolating and you really have to create your own little world of people yeah. and and do a lot of work on on, on going out there and, and and sort of chucking stuff over a cliff with connections and just going, will you see me? Can you see me? Mm-hmm. Do you want a coffee? Yeah. Pe- people that, um, you, you, you very often get hived off onto, you know, the junior typist and everything else, go and have a coffee with him or her. Cause they'll be commissioning. They'll, they'll be commissioning seen, within they? a few years. Yeah. And, and yeah. you've just got to build these patterns up with connections and mm-hmm. and, 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 and not do it cynically. I, I, that, that's why I advocate heading towards shows that you love, you know, whatever, it, what, whatever you're going in. You know, if I was doing LA, I'd be heading towards just now I'd be heading towards Ant & Dec because it's the best on telly. Yeah. And so you, you, you head towards that and you somehow get to, to, be, to, to do the coffee on Ant & Dec. That's yeah. where I'd be going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be going to Homes Under the Hammer. Right. For instance. You That's know. a good show. Which a lot yeah. of people love. Yeah. But choose the shows you love. Because yeah. it's really, really hard work. So uh, uh, um, I say this to my kids. You know, choose, choose a job that you love because at least if you don't get work, at least you'll be doing something that you love or you don't get paid for it, unless least yeah. you're doing
0: something you love. You know. So, Lou, um, the clip that we're showing you of Lou's is from a two-part documentary called uh, Fair Isle, um, and it was screened in 2016, is that right, Lou? I think so. You don't have a script like you do for Sherlock, with everyone saying what they're supposed to say. How do you go about finding your story?
2: Yeah, well, we had, so it was shot kind of over a year, um, and there was, in, well, t- I'll tell you, I answer that question first, and then I'll explain why I chose that clip. Um, so I came back with over 100 hours of footage, and I knew there was like certain families and certain situations that I was following, but I was also like, what am I going to do with this? And I actually had a meeting with Gayna Holmes, who was head of the drama department at the time, who I've known from when I was a runner, back at Ideal World, and she was something on the early days of location, location, anyway, so we'd sort of known each other since the beginning and I said Gayna will you just give me like an hour of like a crash course in structuring a two-part drama and she did and it was priceless information and I structured with the, the arcs and the things ah, and the storylines and I did it, like I stuck to that I mean I kind of mm-hmm. had an idea before starting you don't just go into this sort of willy-nilly but we kind of weren't necessarily sure where things were going to go with what was happening on the island but that drama structure was absolutely stayed on the wall in the edit the whole time and I just followed that which kind of helped me see through it but um I just explained the reason I chose that clip though I totally agree with everything you said about storytelling and it is the heart of everything it's kind of that's like the most important thing I mean I shot that myself what kit you use it doesn't really matter as long as you like it and it works for you don't kind of listen to nerdy people too much just make it kind of work for you but the other thing in documentaries and especially observational documentaries that isn't really spoken about that much is your relationship with your contributors. Now, the reason I picked that clip is not about the weather or anything like that, it's the nurse that's in it. At the beginning, when we were getting access to the island, It's a very small, fragile community. There's only 55 people that live there and very remote. Um, so everybody had to be, or at least most people, on board. Now, Eleanor, I mean, it's fine, we're friends now, she wouldn't mind me saying this, but my first sort of phone call, she she would put the phone down on me. So... To get to the point of her like f- letting me film anything and everything she was doing took you know it takes a lot of work to get to that point and kind of how you go about um did capturing she put the phone down because she was
0: just shy she didn't no, want TV, to be fuck you, right, okay.
2: you know, ah. um, and what and it's kind of how you how you go about kind of just being yourself and and, and, and i think that like, eventually we spoke more and she was like she was like, look, I've been stung by TV, by people. And she never got into what, but generally you're filming people and they're concerned about you taking them out of context. I mean, it's people's lives. And I think it's something that's a say that's generally sort of just accepted that, oh, you'd go and film people and whatever, you come back, cut it and forget the consequences. But I think it's really important kind of, what you do with that footage and how you treat people.
0: Mm. I actually read an article somewhere where one of the islanders said the film couldn't have been made without your empathy for the lives of the people on the island.
2: But people, I mean there's two parts to that, they will just shut the door in your face Mm. or you won't get, like you're always trying to find the the truth I guess it's like somebody's honesty and most people when you're filming with them like just you know everyday folk there's a wall that's up if somebody points a camera at them it's like it's pretty (laughs) and then there's some people that share everything but that's the different they're the people that go on big brother but um but most people have a wall and I would see it as kind of my job in a way is to try and bring down that wall and not in a in a a way to expose them that's detrimental to them but to actually capture them in a way that they truly are and that's all about building your relationships with people and how you go about that
0: yeah how long did you spend in the edit for that two-part doc
2: we had seven weeks per episode so 14 weeks Right. so it's a long 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 edit yeah.
0: yeah right let's have a look at mrs brown's christmas special something completely different You sum up the attributes you need to be a great comedy Uh, director
4: How do you introduce a new character like that? Um, A brand new uh, actor, uh, right? uh, Yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh, We had the shower conversation Will it be in a shower? Um, And then we had The the thought was either everyone knows who it is and Angus doesn't or the other way around Um, So we ended up like that Um, And Brendan wasn't going to be in the whole He didn't want to be in the scene at all until we're at the very end Um, And we rehearsed it, and it was quite dull, and the doctor had a lot of housekeeping lines to do. And it was just like, oh, God, this is dull. I said to him after we shot the afternoon show, because we shoot it twice once the afternoon, once the evening, I said, it's just dull. There's a lot of housekeeping in there, which I didn't really need. And Makeup had come up with this device to get the bandages off, and it it was taking too long. And Derek, who plays the doctor, had all this housekeeping dialogue, and he was bloody slow at undoing a bandage. And it just, it was torture. I and mean, how many times can you cut to Brendan being expectant, you know, waiting for the bloody bandage to come off? I said, well, look, Fiona's a nurse. Why doesn't she do it? And it's like, oh, why doesn't the doctor just go? <laughs> so Fiona could do it, I mean, crack on and tell the story. So Fiona takes over in her nurse's outfit, swipes up the scissors. So the actual, the heartbeat was actually a, a hangover from when Derek was taking five fucking years to get the bandages off. And I thought, like, how do we build the tension and make a virtue out of the fact that he's a bit slow? So put in the heartbeat. And I forgot to tell Grahams to take it off. So that's why it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our effects we play in live because of the, the experience of the actors and the people who come to watch the show, they want the whole scene. It's important to tell the story to give them as much information as possible. So he writes quite long scenes, and that's one of the shortest, but they're quite often 10 minutes long, and that's quite a big chunk of telly to get through. Mm-hmm. And I tend to play in most of the Grams cues and mm-hmm. effects cues to give the audience that full on experience, but mm-hmm. it does slightly crucify you in the edit.
0: How big is your audience?
4: About 300. 300, yeah. and do
0: you give them? alcohol before to, them. Not, oh, not you that you to make them laugh. Oh, you it. Not that you to make them laugh.
4: You've seen it. No, we don't. <laughs> actually, a lot of shows do, um, who record in the evening only. But we record in the afternoon and then again in the, in the evening. Um, mm. And no, they actually turn up. they you know. We Ready have, to laugh. We have very good audiences, yeah. yeah. I'm a very good warm-up guy. Yeah.
0: And where are you when filming's taking place? During
4: the filming, I'm up in, up in the gallery, watching cameras and beating the vision mixer and um, warning cameras what's going to happen next. And just what just enjoying it, that 's the part I can relax at, so after camera Smart. rehearsal finishes, I go for a jog. I run not very far, anyone who knows p q down down the road. I run from the studio just around the Tall Ship museum and, and back along the river, which takes me about you know it takes a long time when you can 't really it 's any time during the year that I run at all, but it was historically just to sort of say goodbye to all the rehearsals, get all the historically questionable exact notes out of my head, and some of which uh, uh, that's for another day. Come back, have a shower, and just go and sit upstairs and watch telly, you know, and then say, that's a bit shit, let's do it again. Um, I tend to let it run in chunks because they're so used to doing mm-hmm. the scenes long, playing for a live audience, mm-hmm. that, you know, you let it run and then you do it again. And I never do pickups because they're not trained actors, they're not used to doing pickups. And generally, stuff self-corrects. So I'll give notes where I need to and not otherwise and just let it happen again. And sometimes you'll do it again immediately. So you never do a scene more than twice. Um, if it's really brilliant, carry straight on. If it's questionable, you think, are they getting tired? Are they bored? Are Will it benefit them if I actually just carry on now? That's a bit shit, but we'll get it later tonight. And if I ask make, make them to do it again, it's going to deflate them and get them tired. So let's accept it for now. So sometimes they're on the floor going, yeah, high five, great, you know, we're moving on. And you think, it was deeply shit. That we're going in because it was so rubbish. It's, it's, it's irredeemable. We'll try it again tonight. Yeah. And it all, you always get it all in the end.
0: Are those little mistakes that they make during filming, are they real mistakes? Or are they It's a
4: combination. Sometimes stuff happens during rehearsals that is really funny and then and they'll chuck it back in. Right. Uh, but you never really know.
0: Right. So it's not deliberate mistakes. That's no, good well, to he, know. I'm he, glad to sometimes hear
4: Sometimes there have been historically... <laughs> ben doesn't want, he wants stuff to go wrong, but he won't tell anyone what's going to happen. Oh. So he used to write in a script with, when I first got hold of a, of a script for the first series. This person, Bob, kept appearing. I was thinking, Oh, so we need to cast this Bob, oh, so Great, you know, find me, Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stood for bit of business. And it just ah, meant that right, something okay. yeah. unplanned something was going to happen. And then he would tell, then I would, in series one, when Ken, the cameraman, would genuinely sort of twat into the set, um, because of the speed at which they're having to move, because although five cameras sounds like a lot, mm-hmm. in a set with two completely different rooms on a 10 minute scene, they're all mm-hmm. moving a lot. So Ken would sort of bash, bash into the set. Mm-hmm. Um, you just sort of you, you keep recording it, and it's one of the hardest things for the floor manager Joe to get used to is not to go in, not to go in and stop it, just leave it, yeah. let it run, and let it self-correct. Because in the edit, one of the hardest things to do is to re- is to restart the story once they've gone off, mm-hmm. um, because funny, you've, got, you've got to pick go it up on. again. Yeah. And they don't always, and sometimes they will say, you know, where do you want to go from Ben? Yeah. Uh, and we tell them, but generally you leave them to your own devices and worry about it in the edit.
0: Mm-hmm. And then a tenuous link will move from. <laughs> Plastic surgery to casualty. We've only got five minutes left, so one quick question. Um, that looks stylistically quite different to the casualty I know.
1: Yes, Where because you get a wee guest story to do. Nice. In every episode, so you can make kind of your own little film within that. That like you can find a little tiny moment to make it a film. Like a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my German <laughs> experimental yeah. film experience. How was it working on casualty, a long running series? Okay, d- d- very quickly, I would say that as a It's so very different working in documentary than it has... I mean, I'm only just really making my first voyages into drama with, you know, working through from River City Doctors and and, Hollyoaks into Casualty, with sites on wanting, obviously, to do kind of, you know, grown-up drama... um, but when you're, when you're making documentaries, especially for female directors, I think that it's very... It's quite a, I found it very comfortable. I could make my film without being interrogated, without being exposed. You work with your contributors. It's about the relationships you have with them. It's actually quite private because you have your, your crew. I do a lot of self-shooting as well, as Liz, but even when you're working with a small crew, you can kind of find your film. It's quite intuitive. It's all about how you feel. I found it really very comfortable as a female director doing that, and I always felt very supported by—not always supported by my male cameraman—but you know, it was just—it was a very exciting and comfortable process. But stepping into drama, I, I felt it's a totally different experience as a woman for me—that you are you are stepping out and in front of often a, a male-dominated crew—and that had that never bothered me. I always felt I had the supports of my, my heads of department, and and, and it, it, it was fine, but stepping up, you know, when you're kind of clawing your way up into casualty, you know, there's like 50 people all standing, staring at you, thinking, why is this woman who looks like my mum now coming to direct on casualty, when they're all, a lot of them were young, and they're obviously all filmmakers themselves in the camera department. And I felt much more exposed than, um, than I ever have felt in documentary. And, it's just I just wanted to kind of reach out a wee bit to the, the women in the, w- the room who are wanting to work in drama that, you know, it, it is hard to step out. I mean, it's not any harder I don't suppose than it was for Douglas to step out on Sherlock. You know, there, there, is a, there is a thing about exposing yourself in drama that you don't have to do in the same sort of way in documentary but, you know, as women I think we just need to, we need to keep trying to do that and keep that confidence in the back of our minds that we are capable of doing it, and not and not feel that we want to maybe not go out of our comfort zone. Does that make s- sort of sense? I just I know that there are not as many women coming through as there are in men. You know, the River City Drama Scheme that we've just been running for Directors UK was mostly dominated again by young, incredibly talented young men applying, and there were very few women. Um, so I think. This is not at all answering your question, but... It's uh, a very good answer. That's one of the
3: things that, about drama that's particular is that, that I say to people that are starting out, and on, on Good Omens we had a, four women came along and shadowed everything, and that's a great thing to do, to get used to that process. You know, Even even the thing of standing up after a rehearsal and showing to the crew on a cold Tuesday morning, to anybody, uh, uh, but uh, I, I think, uh, I don't want to interpret what you've just said, because I think it's great, but... It, uh, one wouldn't make the mistake of thinking it's because you're a woman no, but I, you might feel it more because it, it's not that. to do with that it, it, it really is a crappy sort of moment in the, yeah. in the day showing, your, showing what you're going to do yeah. and you can, but you can also take a generous view that everybody's staring at you. They, you can feel intimidated, but also everybody's staring at you because they're really trying to concentrate hard. Yeah, and they just want to they're know what you're, what you're, yeah. trying, what to what you're trying to and tell. And them. I thought it was interesting yeah. when you
1: said that the process sort of happens to you in drama yeah. a little bit until you find your confidence. So for all the women out there who want to to push forward in drama, just keep going, don't think about it, just keep pushing forward. And take a deep breath in that crucial, show <laughs> and just think well if it is crap there's enough people on this floor who are going to help me make it better and it's, but and I don't it's, think and it's fiddly
3: because it's fiddly that's the thing yeah. it, it is it is it is difficult you know? and I don't
0: think anybody none of you would say you've got to a point in your career where you're smug right you're, you're all nervous. still nervous yeah. and worried and, and terrified <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah and you always are that's why you get up in the morning and um, could we have a few quick questions before we have to wind up any questions? How do people with storyboarding skills help you with your first hour? In docs, do you use storyboards? I, I
2: just, because I went to art school and draw quite a bit anyway, I do sometimes, if it's a bit more complicated, and I'm not just observationally following something, just for me as a reference, I'll kind of draw it out. But I don't, I don't like, properly know how to do storyboards. That's just my interpretation. So just to help as a guide, as a help, it's a bit like mm-hmm. extra bits in a script, really. I will use it,
3: but... I, I, I use a storyboard artist called Mike Collins, he comes in and does it with me, he does Doctor Who and Sherlock, and he's, he's just on Good Omens as well. Uh, to, to be honest, the tr- I, I, I use storyboards to work out what the fuck I'm doing, uh, and, that, and that's and it's for me more than anything else, but the producers always think it's for them, because they think they're going to look at the stuff and learn some great, you know, go, oh right, that's what he's up to, you know, uh, but actually you find discarded storyboards everywhere, you know, if, if you try and give them to crew, people don't really pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. There might be one producer who'll go, "All right, we've got that. We've got." It. No, we didn't. You said you didn't want that. I said, I "You just go." Well, I need, need it now. You know, mm-hmm. it,
0: it's. Do you use storyboards and shot lists?
3: I, I, I try not to. I mean, the the thing that, the experience has given me, which is just that doing the ten thousand hours perhaps is that, I try and I try and go in with actors, particularly. So the, the, the process is basically I'll rehearse without anybody on the floor whatsoever. I clear everybody, step, the script supervisor out, to try and have a moment with the actors where they feel completely safe and free to do what you know, just really. And working with really good actors or not so good, it's really great to just say ask them what they think they, they, they want to do, you know, mm-hmm. and start from there. I, I can come I've, I've got lots of opinions about what they might do, but you're not going to tell Benedict Cumberbatch what to do. You're going to ask what do you think then, you know, and you learn a little bit more from that. So it's. About learning, but so the storyboard in that case goes out the window because you're, you're you're doing something different. So mm-hmm. it's actually wanting to create an, atmos- an atmosphere on set that that uh, feels very organic to everybody. I, I really want I, I want everybody to feel really sort of like they they can do their jobs really well and, and get and get a lot out of the day. And and because I just figure selfishly that's how I'm going to get good work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a it's actually a selfish thing. Mm-hmm. So so I want I want to, it, it, it was Kenny Douglas when he when he got the. To be player manager of Liverpool, he was asked um, um, uh, what you think about your team. He said, "I want the team to be so good that I can't get into it." Yeah. <laughs> 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 and to follow that.
0: Any other questions? <laughs>
1: yes.
3: Hi there, guys. Thanks very much. That was really
4: insightful. Um, I was just going to ask how, when you found out you got your first gig to be a director, what was how much prep did you do to be ready to
3: step into it for the first time? Uh, well, the, fir- the first sort of uh, uh, you remind me of the first time I got an episode of the Bill to do, and the Bill, it's very enlightening. Uh, that They actually gave you an extra week of prep just to hang out, at, um, you know, in the, in the studios, which I doubt anybody would do anymore. Um, and on my first morning, I, I went down to see it being filmed. And as, as I said before, I'm, I'm a telly lover, so I was excited just to be on the, the Bill set, and, and I. I did the thing, I, I stood at the back of the unit, as, as turnover was called, and I leaned against the column and it fell over, <laughs> <laughs> and the director said, cut, and, and they, they all look around and say, who's that, it's the next director, but inside your question is, is, is a big one, so uh, you can never do too much prep. Uh, the only thing that will limit it is the amount of time you're given by the money and, and, and by your producer. But you can't ever do too much prep if, if i'm prepping a doctor who uh, and say i've got a genre that i'm you know that i'm dealing with like like you know a heist movie or something then i'll be watching over the every weekend i'll be watching heist movies into the night i'll be reading the the, the everything about heist movies that i compose I, I want to become the expert on heist movies at, as best i can in the time i've got i want to drive into it and be able to know every nuance of of it all um and, and i i want to you know i want to be you know, having said that, you want to be the weakest on the team. You actually want to be the strongest as well. So somehow you've got. And Kenny Dalglish could say that because at the time he was the best footballer in the world. So it's kind of uh, the you're you you're, you're trying to get that balance of being not getting caught and and, and, and fear because prep is about removing fear. Um, and and but you're also trying to remove fear from your entire team as well, and particularly the actors. You know, I know there's actors in the in the I'm seeing some in there in here. Uh, Mystery is a big. Thing to remove and prep mystery about your locations about your crew if you've got a DOP you've never worked with go go and see what he or she has done go look at their stuff and and find out what they're great at and what you know whatever you know everything we just saw from karen's piece there, there there's a lot of bravery involved in what what you've done in there with with the lighting and everything else and whether that comes from karen or whether it comes from your DOP, it sort of doesn't matter because you get you get the directing credit you know but it look, just looks amazing those are all choices it's sets of choices. That's what prep's about. Sorry, I'm rumbling.
0: And prep is cheap, so good producers will give you lots of time prep, to prep. Prep's the long, okay. cheap bit. It's yeah. the,
3: the filming bit. It's,
0: you know. yeah. I'm afraid we have to so wind up now. So if you have any other burning questions, I'm sure you'll be hanging about, will you, for 10, yeah. 15 minutes? So you could grab people and um, ask them face-to-face. Thanks very much for coming, and thank you very much. Lovely panel. Oh,